Father, we pray that you, who raised your son from the dead, would fill us with the spirit of resurrection this morning, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, we, your church, would indeed rise up, that we would not stand still in a world that is not interested in you, Lord, but that we would be busy serving you everywhere we go, in everything we do, doing all that we do, in word and deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For your glory alone, we pray and we worship in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's fitting that we should uh, congratulate our graduates today. It's been a big week for teenagers If you've been reading the news, you know the name Jordan Spieth, who's playing golf this morning. A lot of 16-year-olds playing golf this morning, I'm sure somewhere, but this one is playing golf in Dallas in the Byron Nelson Classic, vying for the lead as a 16-year-old. He sort of stole the thunder of the 22-year-old who's in in command, who's leading the tournament right now, because compared to a 16-year-old, a 22-year-old is an old guy. It's all relative in that sense, isn't it? And uh, even more interesting to me was the story of Jessica Watson, who just about four months after her 16th birthday got on a ship in Australia and began a mission to circumnavigate the globe, to be the youngest in history, unassisted by herself, solo, to make a trip around the world and in the last week she arrived just before her 17th birthday she sailed all the way around the world when she came a little bit wobbly off the ship the mayor of the city in Australia said to her so what do you want to do next what did she say not go to Disney World she said I'd really like to learn to drive a car (laughs) she had She had taken a ship all the way around the world, but she doesn't yet have her driver's license. He assured her he thought that she would be able to accomplish that. And I was just thinking, if you had a 16-year-old son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, if you had one in your family that age, would you just put them in a yacht and send them around the world? I remember the first time we gave them the car keys and knew that they were going to get on I-10. This was a grave concern to me. I was like, okay, when you get on that entrance ramp and you're looking to your left, you know, Melvin Beard's my insurance guy. I mean, you know, we want to make sure we don't have a wreck here. And I said, look, look to your left. And if you see an 18-wheeler, just pull off the road. I mean, don't try to compete with it. I mean, we were serious about that. And here this family is sending their 16-year-old daughter around the world as a reminder to us, I suppose, that doing something great, something big, is not necessarily limited by age, either on the young end or the older end. There are myriad stories of people who have done something great late in life, early in life. And so this weekend is a big weekend, but as I prepared for it and sort of looked at the church calendar, it occurred to me that there is something bigger than graduation, after all. This is celebrated around the world as Pentecost Sunday. This is the Sunday we celebrate, seven Sundays after Easter, the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, at Pentecost on that Sunday morning. I know in Baptist life we've not made a whole lot out of this, but perhaps we should make more out of it. I think of Fred Craddock, the preacher who was uh, 
who was over on the West Coast preaching at a seminary, when he stood up to preach, a young man stood up in the back. That's always unnerving when you stand up and somebody else does, and they're the only other person standing up. And the young man looked at him and said, before you preach, I need to ask you something. He looked for, Fred looked for the dean of the seminary. He was nowhere to be found. So he looked at the young man and said, yes. And the young man said, are you a Pentecostal? Fred Craddock said, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. He said, I mean, are you a Pentecostal? He said, do you mean am I a member of the Pentecostal church? No. Are you a Pentecostal? Are you asking if I'm a charismatic? No. Are you Pentecostal? Are you asking if I speak in tongues? No. I want to know if you are a Pentecostal. He said, I'm not sure what you're asking. He said, obviously, you are not a Pentecostal. And he walked out. That would be unnerving right before you preach. And Fred Craddock wondered what he meant. And I wonder, are we on this Pentecost Sunday? I'm not asking if you're a member of a Pentecostal church. I'm not asking if you're charismatic. I'm certainly not asking if you speak in tongues. But can I ask you, are we or are we not Pentecostal? Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts chapter 2? It's a good place to preach on Pentecost Sunday. Acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 18 and then... I'm going to pick up a storyline of a man named Philip who was Pentecostal. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Then in chapter 6, we have just a a vignette, a picture of a troubling time in the church. They're trying to figure out food distribution for the Grecian and Hebraic widows. And the apostles say in verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom and we'll turn this responsibility over to them and and we will give our attention to prayer And the ministry of the word. In chapter 8, after Stephen is stoned to death and uh, Saul is standing there holding the coats of those who do it, there's a great persecution of the church. Saul is is, uh, very much involved in that. And in verse 4, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And one of those seven, from chapter 6, Philip, went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And uh, later in chapter 8, verse 29, while he's on a Gaza road, it says, The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And he did, and he preached, you remember, to the Ethiopian eunuch. And in verse 39, just emphasizing the Spirit here, when they came up out of the water after the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Chapter 21, last two verses, three verses, verses 7 to 9. We read a little bit more about Philip uh, 
Luke is on the journey. We know that because he says we, talking about him and Paul, we continued our voyage from Tyre, landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea, stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Thank you. You may be seated. God fills things. It's what he does. Like it is the nature of liquid when you pour it into glass and fill the glass full. It doesn't leave room for anything else in the glass. It is the nature of liquid to fill the glass. It is the nature of God to fill So at Pentecost, when these early believers were gathered together, holding on to a promise that Jesus had made, wait here in Jerusalem, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. God promised his presence and his power to accomplish his purpose. And so they waited there. They waited for weeks there. They waited And God kept his word, and the first sign was a filling. That is, there was this sound of a rushing mighty wind that filled the house. And then they were filled with the Spirit, so filled that they overflowed and spoke the wonders of God in languages that they had not even learned. Not prayer languages, but literal languages of people who were in the city who had the gift of hearing and heard the gospel in their own languages. It was a marvelous miracle Peter found God's power, the same Peter who seven weeks before had denied that he knew Jesus, now can't think about anybody but Jesus. He can't talk about anything else except Jesus. And as he does, 3,000 people hear the words, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And they did, and they were. 3,000 of them. Peter found God's power and found God's purpose. And surely, Philip was in the mix that day. It is not long after that when they sort of faced the first real problem in the church that they need seven people. They've got this food distribution problem with deference to the great food companies in our country. They didn't say, who's the equivalent of Cisco in our day? We need somebody who understands food distribution. Instead, they said, is there anybody in the house who's filled with the Spirit? And filled with wisdom. Because if they are, they can help us solve this. And then we can get back to what we do best, which is pray and preach. And they can take care of this. And apparently they took care of it well because we never hear about it again. But we do hear about Philip again. Stephen and Philip are among those seven. Stephen is martyred as a great apologist of the church defending the faith. They stone him to death. Remember, Paul, Saul at that time holds their coats as they throw the rocks and kill Stephen and he looks up and sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, standing in honor of the one who is standing in honor of him. And then Philip is pushed out of the city like everybody else is pushed out of the city. These believers are pushed out and instead of saying, what will I do for my job now? He just, wherever he goes, speaks the good news, the gospel. He evangelizes, that's the word, and he becomes known as Philip the evangelist. We don't know that from chapter 6 or from chapter 8. We know that from chapter 21 when Paul is coming back to Jerusalem and spends the night at his house in Caesarea and finds out that this man who is filled with the Spirit and has a gift of evangelism has four daughters who also have gifts from the Spirit. They prophesy. They proclaim. They hear God's message and they speak 
God's message, like Agabus, who's mentioned in association with them in chapter 21. All of that to say, when God fills us with his presence and his power, then God fulfills his purpose in our lives. And I was wondering what your purpose is. What is God doing in your life? How have you been filled with the Spirit? And what is God doing in your life through His Spirit? Are you Pentecostal? What does the the coming of the Spirit so many years ago have to do with the way you and I live our lives today? And what does it have to do with students who are graduating? And my answer to that is everything. Because unless... We live our lives filled with the presence and power of God. It is likely that we will never, ever in our lives fulfill the purpose of God. And my prayer, if I can just be up front with you, because maybe you dropped off a preschooler this morning. My prayer for every preschooler who is dropped off in our new preschool and children's buildings over here, my prayer is that every last one of them will go into the ministry And I don't mean by that that they will work at a church. Because as I see it, believer, follower in Christ, we are all in the ministry. We fund it in lots of different ways. And these graduates have had the privilege looking around on uh, Sunday mornings of seeing people who are godly men and women, engineers and doctors and lawyers and business people and builders and and plumbers and uh, dentists and all different kinds of jobs. And, And what we hope they are seeing is that you're not only making a living, but you are making a life. Because you have given your career and your job and your life to the one who is giving you your next breath. And you do what you do, as Paul says to the Colossians, whatever you do in word or deed, you do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I audacious this morning to think that that group of graduates in the power of the Holy Spirit could literally change the world, but that apart from the Holy Spirit, if they accomplish every goal that you and I set for them, every dream that you and I have for them, and they don't minister in the name of Jesus Christ, as John Piper says, they will have wasted their lives no matter how much money they have made. Unless they give themselves to him fully, they will never find out what it means to have a full life or to live lives that are filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God. When God sends us on a mission, He first fills us with His presence and with His power. That's what Pentecost is about. He he fills the house with the sound. He fills the hearts of His people with His Spirit. He fills the air of Jerusalem with the Gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. And He fills the early church with 3,000 new believers. When God comes, He fills everything. And my only prayer in the couple of years we've been meeting in this building is that God not would fill the room, but that He would fill the people who are in the room. Because if He fills the people who are in the room, I'm pretty sure the room will get full. And my prayer is that God would do something so great in this congregation that nobody but God would be the explanation, that people would not talk about buildings and programs and ministries, but they would talk about God and how God is working among us. That even if an unbeliever came in and sat down among us, they would leave this place saying God was in their midst, as Paul said to the church at Corinth. And they would say there's something about that. They would catch us in adoration 
They would say, I don't know what their denomination is. But those people are Pentecostal. They are filled with the Spirit of God. This is what God wants for our lives. He wants to fill us with his spirit. And what happens when God fills us with his spirit? We, we want sometimes to make something extra biblical out of that. We need to be careful about that. When, when Peter was filled with the spirit, he proclaimed the gospel. When Philip was filled with the spirit, he solved an administrative issue in the church. Again, filled with the spirit, he went to Samaria and proclaimed the good news. Again, filled with the spirit, he went from town to town, starting churches. Again, filled with the spirit for some 20 years, we, we may assume. He, he lived in Caesarea, started a church there, and by the way, raised four daughters there who, just like him, were absolutely consumed with God. Different gift, gift of prophecy. He's Philip the evangelizer. His four daughters are prophetesses, but same spirit of God working in their lives. I don't read this casually. You need to hear me. I want this in my home. I want this in your home. I want this in this house for God to fill us so that we would be, as Wesley described the, uh, the Moravian brethren in his day, as God-intoxicated people. So when Peter stands up to preach, he says, Don't, uh, let's just be clear here. We're not drunk. You think we're drunk. It's too early in the morning to be drunk. We're not drunk, but we are under the influence. We are preaching while intoxicated. We are filled with the Spirit of God. And God predicted this through his prophet Joel. He said, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on your sons and your daughters, on all my servants, your young men, your young women, your old men, your older women. They will all be filled with my Spirit and I will use them to accomplish my purpose in the world. I laughed at a dinner recently, a wonderfully dignified uh, elderly lady was sitting there with me. She grew up in First Baptist Church, San Antonio. Perry Webb was her pastor. Perry Webb's grandson is the uh, chairman of our personnel committee right now. And she said Perry Webb would stand there in his dignified cutaway coat and his uh, gray pinstripe trousers and he would say to the young people in the church, young people, a praying knee and a dancing foot do not grow on the same leg. <laughs> this is old time Baptist, isn't it? We don't dance or go with girls who do, right? I mean, that's the old, right? Right? A praying knee, a dancing foot, they will not grow on the same foot. That is not in the Bible, by the way. Scott McKnight has a different take on it. He says Pentecost is God's great invitation to the dance. He invites us to the dance, the dance that's been going on through all of eternity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he welcomes us out on the dance floor. And the music is the music of love and peace and holiness and righteousness. And we're invited to the dance. That's what happened in Jerusalem that day. They just joined the dance. And I'm pretty sure they weren't standing still. And I'm wondering why we are if they weren't. They joined the dance and I wonder if we have, because I, I saw a video this week. Randy, you were there. I saw, not in the video, but I remember 11 years ago, we went to Budapest, Hungary. Let me tell you, when I was in seminary, I surrendered my life to be a missionary in Budapest, Hungary, to teach Greek in Hungarian and to start churches there. And if God had not slammed that door shut and locked it with two deadbolts, I'd be there right now this morning. But in fact, God closed that door for me. But not long after we came here, 
was it 99? I think it was 99. We went. We took a group of college students and high school students over there, and the Talawood players were in this great big square in Budapest, and they're acting out this drama of the crucifixion of Christ and forgiveness of people. And a lady walked up to me pushing a stroller with her toddler, a native Hungarian, I suppose. And she said, what are they doing? I said, well, it's a drama. The crowd is gathering. She said, what's it about? I said, well, it's about Jesus and him dying on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And I'm quoting her. She said, oh, my God. We don't believe in God, she said. And she hurriedly pushed her stroller away, dragging her toddler along with her. But this week I saw a YouTube of that same square in Budapest, Hungary from this year on Easter Sunday morning. And there were 1,300 young people who broke out in a flash mob. Their praying knees were connected to their dancing feet. And they started dancing before the Lord in this sort of spontaneous worship as they sang and danced to the Lord and sang about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday morning. And I was thinking, those kids are the same ages as the toddler and the baby that was in the stroller. And even though she didn't believe in God, God has done a work in that city in these ensuing 11 years so that God is working there. No, the Bible doesn't say anything about praying knees and dancing feet. But it does say, do not be drunk with wine. Don't be foolish. Understand the time. The days are evil. Redeem the time. This is the will of the Lord for you. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And that is God's will for our lives And I know our Baptist line, our Reformed line is, well, we received all the Holy Spirit we're ever going to get on the day that we got saved. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is nobody's charismatic, who 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 is nobody's Pentecostal, said to his people one Sunday morning, I just have one question to ask you. If you got all of the Holy Spirit you are ever going to get on the day you got saved then where in God's name is he? If you received the Holy Spirit and you were filled with the Holy Spirit, then where is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life today? My question would be, what is the Spirit of God doing in you? I do believe we receive the Holy Spirit when we are saved, but I believe that the Holy Spirit receives us as we progressively give more and more of our lives to him. They said of D.L. Moody, uh, somebody said, well, maybe he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. They said, no, no, no. Moody doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Moody. Does he have a monopoly on you, on this church? Is his will our will? Is all heaven breaking loose as his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven? His will is done here as it is in heaven When God fills us with his power and his presence, then he fulfills his purpose for our lives. For for Peter, it was the power to preach. For Philip, it was the power to solve an administrative issue. For Philip, it was the power to proclaim in Samaria. Can you imagine the servant that he was? Look, I just want you to hear what J.I. Packer said about this. Packer said, the whole work of God in the lives of Christians is supernatural work. It's not, it's not as though without the Holy Spirit we wouldn't have lively Christians and lively congregations. Without the Holy Spirit we wouldn't have Christians and we wouldn't have congregations. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst that transforms us and empowers us to do this. And if you say, I want God's mighty power in my life, well then you better be ready to accomplish God's purpose in your life because he doesn't separate the two. 
You'll receive power from the Holy Spirit so that you'll be my witnesses. You want God's power, then you will be his witness everywhere you go in everything you do. You will be his witness. And he says, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. And that's fulfilled in Philip's family. And that's not new, by the way. I know we struggle with that a little bit. But that's not new, is it? I mean, you all, you all, what do you think Lottie Moon was doing over there in China? Think she was knitting? She was proclaiming the gospel. Annie Armstrong, I think, I think of that, that Louisiana pastor who told about the uh, missionary in inner city New Orleans and, uh, and the missionary was trying to tell these ladies uh, who lived on the street, she was trying to tell them about, about Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon. She was a Southern Baptist missionary in inner city New Orleans and and uh, one of the ladies came back to her and said, I was trying to tell my friend what you were telling me about, about Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. And she said, well, how did it go? She said, well, she didn't know anything about them. She said, well, what did you say to her? I said, woman, you don't know about Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong? Read your Bible. <laughs> well, they're not exactly in there. But Philip's daughters were in there. Hulda was in there. Miriam, Deborah, Anna in the New Testament They were in there. God uses us irrespective of gender, irrespective of age. God uses us, your young men, your young women, your older men, your older... God works among his people as he chooses to work and we should celebrate his work in this world. He pours out his spirit, he says, on his servants. We talked about that last week. I continued to read Tim Kimmel's little book about raising truly great kids this week and he says in that book what we need to be saying to our kids especially on big days like graduation we need to be teaching them about humility and about gratitude and about generosity about tenacity about courage because if they learn those things they will they will feel within themselves that they're both attractive and valuable but if we spend our lives trying to tell them how attractive and valuable they are they will forever feel unattractive and worthless Apart from a servant attitude, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he, he was equal with God, did not consider that something to be grasped, but emptied himself. If we can teach our kids to be servants, Tim Kimmel gives an illustration in the book. He tells about being at a preaching conference and they're having a prayer meeting and, and uh, the, the preacher's preaching about prayer and he divides them up and he says, get next to the person, get with the person next to you and pray with them. That always makes us kind of nervous, doesn't it? If we don't know the person, he didn't know the person next to him. He said the man was about two-thirds of his size from Sri Lanka, a preacher with um, a permanent grin on his face. And he said, I have to tell you, he said, I just thought, is there anybody else I can pray with? But he said, there I was. It was just, he, he and I were there on that long, that long row. And so we gathered together and he smiled at me and said, tell me about your family so that I can pray for you. Kimmel told him about his wife and his four children. He said that man began to pray. And the first word out of his mouth, he said, I knew that he knew God on a first name basis. He prayed for my wife. He prayed for me. He prayed for my ministry. He prayed for each of my children by name. And when he finally whispered amen, I had been prayed for, if you will. And I looked at him in humility and I said, how can I pray for you? And he said, would you just please pray that the trees I spend the night in will be safe? what what do you mean he said when I when I go to these villages and preach I spend the night in a tree he said why don't you spend the night in a hotel he said well the villages I go to don't have hotels he said well um why don't you stay with a Christian family he said well the villages I go to don't have any Christians so I spend the night in a tree 
Because it's safer on the tree, up in the tree, than it is on the ground. Except recently I was up in the tree in the middle of the night and I felt something around me and a python had coiled all the way around me and was trying to devour me, trying to crush the life out of me. And I fought valiantly and I got away from the python. And I'm just asking if you would pray for me that the trees I spend the night in would be safe. And after he prayed, Tim Kimmel said, I thought about all the hotels I had been to where I looked at the towels and thought, these aren't new towels. And I picked up the glasses and said, these glasses aren't as clean as I wish they were. And I was humbled by the servant. Who does God pour out his spirit on? People who serve. So Philip serves the people of Samaria. He serves Paul. When Paul comes back through, he opens his home. I love Christian hospitality in the New Testament. They didn't have need for hotels because they opened their homes to each other. Just on a reference, just on a, you know my friend who's a believer in Christ. You stay in my home. And there... um, Paul stayed and was refreshed and met these daughters and Philip found his purpose in life and I guess it's no surprise then that Philip's daughters found their purpose in life and I was wondering how are our kids going to find God's purpose for their lives and here they are struggling with what their major is going to be and what they're going to do for their career and trying to make all these decisions I was talking with one of our sons recently about this very issue and he said to me dad it's different for you because when you were 19 you already knew what you were going to do for the rest of your life and you were already doing it in a church It's not like that for me. He said, well, I said, you don't need to worry about that. You don't have to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life right now. You don't have to know what your job's going to be or even what your degree's going to be. But we need to get this this part right. The one you're doing it for is God. If you say, I want to be a, a CPA and I want to make a great living, that's great. But for whom are you doing that? So that you can have a good life? Or so that you can have a life and give life to other people and be a life giving person Philip's an evangelist his daughters are prophets who are you is it your career is that your identification I was thinking about Jack Morrison this morning I asked somebody up there in the baptistry area who's one of our youth workers I said so what did he do for a living I knew but I was just wondering if anybody knew he said I don't, I don't really don't know he looked good <laughs> yeah he always looked good I said do you know what he did he said well, he's probably in sales wasn't he I said yeah I think he was a pharmaceutical representative But the reason you don't know what he did, the reason our students, I asked them this morning, do you know what Jack Morrison did? And only one of them knew. The reason is because we all know who he was. He wasn't Jack Morrison, the pharmaceutical representative. He was Jack Morrison, the advocate of anybody who needed something. And in Jesus' name, he would find a way to get it to you. I think of Abby Tracy, and a lot of our kids have gotten connected with her. She's 22 years old. She has not filled her life with alcohol she has filled her life with the spirit of God and she's a missionary on the streets in Uganda bringing in the street children off the street getting them off of drugs can I just say to you our dreams for our kids and our grandkids are are not too big for God they're too small we'd settle you know we look at the initials from the time they're born what's their APGAR score do they learn their ABCs and one two threes faster than their the other kids do they get into the pre-k and the k so that they can so that they can get good grades and get a's and and and, and maybe a few b's but no c's or d's or f's and all that so that they can get into high school and in high school they can have a high sat or psat or act so that so that they can get into the right colleges and get a BA or a BS or maybe even an MBA or, or, or an MA or a, an MD or a PhD. Or, and then when they get that degree, all of this so that they can drive what? A larger SUV? Please. Please. God wants more for them than we want for them. 
And I'm just asking us to pray for our kids in different ways than the world around us prays for them. Pray that they will give glory to God in everything they do. Whatever they do in word or deed, they will do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will be on a mission filled with God's spirit, fulfilling his purpose for their lives. Like the three men who are working on a wall and somebody comes up and says to him, what are you doing? And the first man says, I'm laying bricks. And the second man says, I'm building a wall. And the third man says, I am building a cathedral to the glory of God. Can I ask you? In the name of the Holy Spirit, what are we doing? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that your power is enough to fill this people. God, fill us so that we might fill the world with the gospel. So that everywhere we go, whatever our occupation is, Lord, that we would be occupied with you, preoccupied with you, absolutely consumed with you. So that we might do your work in this world. This is our prayer in the name of the one who is able to make it happen, the name the high and holy name, the name that is above every other name, the only name given among men whereby we must be saved, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, we pray. Amen.